Welcome to Art of Retreat 2018, the Parkour Leadership and Education Conference. This year, we're in the Cascade Mountains outside of Seattle. I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset, and I'm here with Mark Turok. Mark Turok is the founder of American Parkour, and his stated goal in life is to raise the age at which it is socially acceptable to play in public spaces. He's also passionate about helping people build or restore their self-acceptance and confidence through movement discovery. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Craig. Great to be here. Mark, your session this afternoon was titled Parkour in Schools, A Tale of Two Cities. Can you give me a quick overview of what your session was about? Sure. So I think that people have a hard time visualizing what a parkour program in schools may actually look like. And that's one of the things I'm helping people to discover is what does parkour in schools actually mean? What does it look like? And then the very different experiences we had in the two different uh, school districts that we're in, one being the District of Columbia public school system Mm -hmm. and another being a county in Maryland. Mark, I'm going to guess that because your title has a tale of two cities, that there's a two-faceted or two-sided to this. So I'm wondering, my first thought is, okay, you're going to just tell me how to build this program, but I'm betting that there's a pitfall here that I'm missing. Sure. So, you know, I think that because uh, parkour coaches and people in the parkour community are so, so much doers, they're hands-on people who want to affect things themselves Mm -hmm. they're 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 curious they're They're explorers they're passionate they're responsibility takers Mm -hmm. that their vision of a parkour program is them being in the school teaching parkour to people oh right right and that's not how at least in the united states the public school system works Mm. you don't have people going into the public school system to teach someone parkour and you don't have a structure for the parkour to be taught So I don't know of any other model where someone comes into a school, teaches a course or a session, and also how we break up that session, how many weeks it is, how much time kids get or don't get in PE classes now. Mm -hmm. All of these things are challenges that that need to be addressed to make a successful program. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, I saw my obvious question would be... So then the obvious next question is, what's the, what does it look like if we flip that over? Like, how do you change that? Or what would the alternative look like? Sure. So what it is that we can do is start to get people to look at physical education slightly differently, get away from some of the traditional team sports and traditional activities that are taught in physical education, get it to be more movement-based, which I think everyone in parkour is a proponent of movement-based things, but we do also cling to that parkour title and some, yeah, some of the some things. Sense that, of purity, right? Right, and some things that are dear to parkour. And, and we can do movement-based things and have those same values and, and not lose them without mm-hmm. it being a complete parkour curriculum. Mm-hmm. It can be a parkour curriculum that's incomplete, mm-hmm. but it's planting the seeds. Yeah. It, it's getting the ideas in there. Uh, one of the challenges, obviously, is teacher training time. We Teachers, if you, if you want to have parkour in more than one school, mm-hmm. you're simply not going to get more than six hours of a teacher's time per year. So you can't teach them to be a full, broad-spectrum, capable coach right. of parkour. You can teach them to be a very good coach of a very small subset of parkour hmm. and that's that's the reality of it it's really neat in in washington dc public schools 
we get one sixth of their professional development time mm -hmm. is mandatory parkour training, mm -hmm. and one sixth is optional parkour training. So they could spend as much as one third of their, their personal oh, wow. professional development time learning parkour coaching from us. And that's a huge number. Think of all the activities that they coach throughout a year and we get yeah, a that's third a force, of their time. That's a force multiplier there. Right. So that that's that's a that's a huge benefit. And it's a necessary thing if we're going to scale it out. I, I think that we as we as coaches who are also very passionate and and somewhat protective of parkour don't want to give that responsibility away. But the fact is that makes it not scalable. Mm -hmm. It's never going to fly if it's only a small handful of people that can coach it. You any one coach could only coach at four different schools. schools right. So as opposed to affecting a school system or a district or a state or hopefully the way the world sees movement versus mm -hmm. exercise and sport and, and physicality. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges that someone trying to implement a school program would have to overcome, something they might not expect? Sure. So I, I think that a lot of people uh, approaching this problem would, would go through it very pragmatically and they would say, okay, we need a curriculum. What are we going to teach? Mm -hmm. We need equipment to teach that on. We need a time and a space. And then we need the teacher, whoever that person mm -hmm. is, to be able to right, train them up, coach it, them and, or, right, and, and teach it. And those things are all very important, but they are absolutely dwarfed by this one key factor that people may not think of, and that is having a champion for the program because all of that stuff can get vetoed very easily if you even if you have if your best friend is a is a physical education teacher in mm -hmm. one school and they go into that one school but their principal doesn't like the it or the, the super doesn't like it right the super doesn't like it the head of the health and physical education doesn't like it then it's not really going anywhere hmm. and and we don't want to just get one and done i mean it it is better it's better than none but if we can consider who we're getting buy-in from mm. and the way that they get buy-in and start, uh, one of the districts I worked with did a, did a brilliant thing. They asked for volunteers so that the first wave of schools that they used were the people that were interested and were passionate mm. instead of a district where they say, okay, everybody's going to teach this unit. And some people are like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Right. You get only the people who are vested. And if you can start with those people who are vested and, and other people see their success, right. then you have a natural following instead of a, instead of a forced following. Yeah, you've also got a chorus in case you make a minor misstep somewhere, right? Which, which you will, right? So, you know, having that cushion of, of a good amount of success with the people who liked it and supported you mm -hmm. versus going straight into an audience who is just yeah, ready to hang you either way. Right. right. So in these interviews for Art of Retreat, I've been asking each person who's presented, I've been asking them for a takeaway for the listener. And I can think of some good takeaways that would be related to starting a school program. But what I really want to do is circle back to, we mentioned that you're passionate about helping people uh, rediscover their movement and your stated goal really intrigues me. So I'm, I'm betting that there's a takeaway and a challenge you can uh, give to people that is related to your goal. Sure. So... Uh, and this may be a long-winded answer, but one one of my one of my pet peeves is that as as children grow, they are literally told to stop playing. Yes, 
they are told, get off of there. Don't climb that. Don't do that. Don't play with that. Don't touch that. Don't dig in the dirt. Don't pick up bugs. But then go be an inquisitive scientist. Right. And, and if we tell them not to touch anything and not to do anything, but then go be an explorer, we're sending a very, very mixed message. Mm -hmm. And what I would rather see is a continuum of that childhood curiosity brought into their play that continues and, and doesn't stop. And, and so at 13, I can still climb a tree. And at, at 18, I can still go on the swings. And so I guess my challenge for people would be to go out and play somewhere in, in public, play somewhere that you think might be on the edge of what people are comfortable with and see how they react to you and see how you react to them Right. And if you're embarrassed to do something out in public that shouldn't that you shouldn't be, that you should be able to just go play, go do a hula hoop in the middle of a park, mm -hmm. go go get on the swing set mm -hmm. and just see how the people around you react to you supposedly having to be an adult, which means right. what you're, you're not supposed to have fun anymore. You're not supposed <laughs> to move. You're not supposed to enjoy the, the physical world. These these are all the opposite of, of what we really want for people. Right. But there's this big social perception built up around that. So I challenge you to go out and push that perception. And again, not in a way that's impolite. We never, we never encroach on other people's space, but I'm okay with encroaching on their feelings yeah, when those feelings are stopping me from playing. Yeah, they're preconceived notions. Yeah. That's terrific. Thank you very much, Mark. Sure. Thank you. Mark Turok is one of 24 presenters this year at Art of Retreat, so be sure to check back to hear more.